your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire. It is Michigan State week here on Off Tackle Empire, and uh, Andrew has things to say. Is the offseason over yet? <laughs> Please. Well, all right. So there's, first of all, to the extent that it's possible, which I get that it really isn't because it's all related to the athletic department, but it helps thinking about these things to try to decouple Larry Nasser from what has been leveled against the football and basketball programs because it's really not the same thing. In case you've been living on another planet for the last couple of years, the Larry Nasser saga is coming to something of a close. Obviously, it's going to be a lifelong healing process for everyone who was victimized by that monster, but the settlement that was announced not too long ago as of this recording at least brings the civil litigation to an end. In my mind, there should be some continuing criminal investigations into certain individuals in the athletic department at the time. Um, whether that actually happens or not, I guess remains to be seen. And then you've got the ESPN's um, piece that did the best they could to paint this picture of a broad, foul conspiracy um, without really a whole lot of hard evidence for it. Now, there's been far more accusations of sexual assault at MSU in the last decade and a half or however long you want to go back than I would ever be comfortable with. I think any would be too many. This is far too many and it's a big problem. There is obviously some context to some of those numbers, but I'm not going to go into that because it sounds like trying to explain away, oh, this number isn't that bad. No, any number is too bad. Um, there are, in some cases, reasons to give some credit to the coaching staff or at least not to castigate them too badly. Um, that's not my job, though. They don't pay me to do that. They get paid plenty of money, and they can explain it themselves. And as far and that kind of brings me to what I think will wrap up our thoughts for this before we get into previewing what I think you guys are here to talk about. I don't think anybody listens to this to hear our thoughts on the broader issues at Michigan State, because <laughs> God knows neither of us actually know what the hell we're talking about on that. Not too long after that E60 piece came out, Mark D'Antonio issued a pretty blunt and direct statement saying, essentially, I have done nothing wrong. When these things have come up, they have been handled properly. I have fully cooperated. I don't think I have anything to hide. That was the only thing he said. He benefited from that story dropping during his offseason, so he didn't have anything to worry about. Tom Izzo, for what it's worth, handled that whole thing disastrously, whether he's ultimately guilty of anything or not. Man, he did not come off looking good, but that's neither here nor there. This is football season. Um, so Mark D'Antonio issued essentially a blunt denial and said, look, if you think you've got evidence that I did something I shouldn't have or didn't do something I should have, let's hear it because I feel like I've done everything that I needed to. He left it at that, and if you know him at all, he's not going to say anything else about it. I don't remember if it was after that or before. I think it was before. Uh, both of his bosses quit. MSU still has an interim president. They still have an acting athletic director. So if you expect anyone to come in with the, you know, the moral authority to fire him anytime soon, it's not going to happen. MSU is far too chaotic from an organizational standpoint for anyone to even have the ability to do that, even if they thought it was the right thing to do. So whatever you think of it, he's probably not going anywhere as a result of this. Now, if they have a successful season or a couple of seasons, could you see him retiring maybe a little bit earlier than he might have and never having to answer any of these questions? Yeah, that's a possibility. I hope he doesn't do that because, to be frank, I think he knows the statement that he gave isn't going to be the end of the story and he's going to need to say more at some point. But if you expect any further consequences against MSU football because of the stories that have been put out by ESPN or because of the Nasser issues, I think you're going to have to keep hoping. I know that infuriates some of you. 
I'm not totally psyched about it either, but it is what it is. They're still my team, and we're here to talk about them today. So, well, I will say two things. One is that it is interesting that a man who I once described as probably the most Nixon-esque uh, Big Ten football coach That's fair. Yeah. issued a statement saying, I, I am not a crook. crook. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But the other thing I will, I will point out is that having complete instability uh, from top to bottom of your university's leadership chain uh, has never stopped the university in the Big Ten from making a decision on who should be the head football coach. It wouldn't be ideal if they made the decision right now. I don't know if it would be a dagger to the heart of the program, but, uh, you know, if fundamentally you were, a 3-9 and nine record is nothing to be ashamed of at the University of wherever. If you were to tender a resignation the same way that Nixon did, who would be the equivalent of the Secretary of State in an athletic department? Would it be like the baseball coach, I guess? Your coach boss, I hereby tender my resignation as head football coach in Michigan State, effective immediately. I, I resign the office. I, I used to know the bill. It's only one sentence that Nixon wrote. I used to know it by heart. Oh, well. So that's the off-season story there. Um, if you want to talk about on-field stuff, a few players transferred who were deaf guys who were not going to play, um, including the probable backup quarterback, Messiah DeWeaver. Um, what was his name? Messiah DeWeaver. You didn't know that? Messiah DeWeaver. Oh, oh but dude, get this. He was originally a Michigan commit. He was Brady, <laughs> he was Brady Hoke's last quarterback. And I honestly was mildly regretful that he ended up flipping. I mean, Me I was glad, too. I was glad to have him, whatever, but would it not have been the perfect marriage of recruit name and fan base perspective on what quarterback recruits are supposed to so be? So you mean the Michigan fans were all like, you were the chosen one! The Messiah has for It was said... It was said that you would destroy the Spartans, not join them! Oh, well, no, because once he flips, he's just some three-star and on-state kid who the staff had soured on and wasn't really interested in. So, all that being said, I think we've ended up playing a total of something like 15 or 20 snaps. A couple, Like I said, a couple of other guys, um, a linebacker, I think his name was Darian Pequot Clemens, he transferred. Um, again, not named to heard because it was mostly a function of a young team with a lot of guys coming back. So not the same kind of transfers we had in the previous offseason, which was a very different situation. Um, so we, we left off our Michigan preview with talking about uh, getting smacked around by Notre Dame. Uh, I know that feel. Um, that was last season, and it honestly, it wouldn't have been as bad, but there were a couple really bad plays, and they were very early in the game. So, well, and you're not going to see Notre Dame for like 10 more years. Yeah, so now, I mean, the megaphone's not the best trophy ever, but they get to keep it for a long, long time. I don't think we play again until 2026 or somewhere thereabouts. I bet you get the megaphone back before we get the damn turtle. Well, I mean, if we had a trophy with Ohio State, we wouldn't see it very much either. Um, so yeah, last season, they had the early loss to Notre Dame, but other than that... And then you've got a triple overtime loss to Northwestern that was extremely grating because it was an example of this coaching staff's stubbornness and refusal to adapt, costing them a game that they really should have won. Well, um, the good news is Northwestern now respects the fact that they're willing to run the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, outside of that, it was really a season that you, you wouldn't hope for anything better of. Yeah, they got absolutely flattened by Ohio State in a game which technically decided the Big Ten East division. I was not optimistic going into that game. I mean, I was hoping it would be closer than 45 points, yes. But because of this weirdness they had with their schedule, because of some series that have been canceled, they've had a bye week in the first two or three weeks, like five years in a row now, that's going to continue again this year. And so by the end of the season, there's usually a game where they are visibly worn down. And it just so happened to be against Ohio State a week after they got 
you know, hand-blasted by Iowa for some reason. So yeah, none of the three losses were great, really. I mean, if you asked me which one would I want to reverse, it'd have to be Ohio State, because then we would have been in the Big Ten title game, but any of them, they, they were all regrettable for their own reasons. But overall, though, a 9-3 regular season, come, I mean, a six-win reversal just in the regular season, and then squashing Washington State in the Holiday Bowl. And yes, they had a couple players missing, but they were still a pretty good roster top to bottom. Um, no, I'm going to go ahead and suggest that every team in the Big Ten outside of Iowa would like to reverse their uh, game score against Ohio State. Because can you imagine how hilarious it would be if uh, Illinois had walked in there with our third-string quarterback on a terrible roster and beat Ohio State like 45 to 7? Yeah, because we would I'm not saying that I would want the score to be reversed. I was just talking about the result. I mean, I'd be fine beating them by two. But yeah, if, we, if Michigan State had gone in in the second week of November and beaten Ohio State by 45 in the shoe, yeah, I think I would have taken that result. Um, but overall, last year on the field, really went about as well as you could have. Um, Especially coming off of 3-9. and nine. Let's be real here. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. When, when Notre Dame smacked Michigan State around, it was seen as, oh, okay, maybe... Uh... We're not going to... It's not going to be as good of a turnaround as we would have thought. But from there, everything really went about as well as it, as it could have. Yep, everything was outside hoping, of Evanston went pretty well. I was hoping for something like 7-5, and five, um, thinking that maybe we'd get a toss-up game here or there that would get us to 8 wins. But yeah, no, I had 10-3, and three, given where the program was before last season started, absolutely better than you could have hoped. And then the thing is, because of <laughs> both the graduations from 16 and then all the problems that happened that season and the following offseason, this was a very, very young team. And so, as you mentioned with Michigan, this is a team that's going to have vast pr- amounts of production coming back on both offensive and de- defensive sides of the ball. So we'll start with the offense. Well... The final thing I want to say about the 2017 schedule is that you capped it off on the highest of high notes, Michigan State, by beating your protected rival in that game that everybody, every Spartan fan, no matter what season it is, you know you want to beat Rutgers. That game at the end, that's a big game at the end of the year that, that you got on your schedule is protected. And that's, you know, you can go ahead and have a 1-11 season. If that one win is against Rutgers, yeah, that was worth doing. And brother, I'll tell you, I was in I was in attendance for that game myself in Spartan Nation. We turned out for it. We turned out in such vast numbers. The damn toilets in the stadium stopped working, y'all. No, I'm not joking. There was a plumbing failure. You, you would remember this if you think back to that weekend. It was the last weekend of the regular season, and the damn plumbing in uh, High Point Stadium, uh, finest of venues in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, it, it just stopped working, y'all. And so everyone, if you had to go to the bathroom, you had to go outside and use the porta potties. You had to go out. Piss, you had to go out and piss that away. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So enough about <laughs> last year. Um, so on offense, there's there's a lot of reasons for optimism here. They had a couple kind of surprising transfers from the wide receiver group and Hunter Risen. Um, and Tristan Jackson. Maybe not totally surprising that they weren't featured guys, but they were both young enough that you had to figure they had time to make bigger contributions ahead of them. But other than that, most of the guys who made big contributions are back. Belton Davis is a great vertical threat. Daryl Stewart is similar to Keyshawn Martin. I mean, we tend to compare every receiver, whoever takes a handoff from Michigan State to Keyshawn Martin. None of them actually as good as him. 
but as a secondary receiver and a guy who can run sweeps and jets and uh, jet sweeps and screens and all that kind of thing, he's pretty good. And then Cody White was really a, a surprise as a true freshman last year, who I think next year uh, in 19 is going to be the clear number one threat there once Davis is gone. So with those three guys, they have an obvious triad um, of preferred targets. Their top tight end, Matt Sokol, is back. And I would expect big things from Matt Dodson, a guy who played a little bit as a true freshman. He's big guy, like 6'5". They didn't really use him as much as I would have liked. Maybe him being a true freshman, they weren't entirely ready to. But I expect big things out of him this year. They tend to throw to the tight ends a bit less than I'd like them to. But in the passing game, they should be all set. Because obviously, starting quarterback Brian Lewerke is back as well. And he was dynamite in his first year as a starter. Vastly ahead of where either... Um, Connor Trick or Kirk Cousins were at this point in their careers so if he stays for his full eligibility I think he's going to end up being the best quarterback in school history because um, as I mentioned he's far ahead on his development curve of where any of the other great Spartan quarterbacks have been. I would agree with that assessment. Uh, Lewerke really really has impressed me. I, I didn't expect anywhere near this much out of him. I saw him as, as like a, a breakout candidate but you know, even that, like, well, again, you compare him to guys that ended up being what you'd call legends, and, yeah, he, he compares pretty favorably to them. Uh, then you have, of course, the uh, running game, where, um, you know, L.J. Scott is definitely going to start until he starts uh, squirting fumbles uh, 15 yards into the defensive backfield. Yeah, and the problem this year is <clears throat> if Scott hasn't cured his pretty nasty case of fumbleitis from the last year, year and a half, the options behind him are, are gone. The guys that he's shared the backfield with. His oh, Big Mama London. <laughs> Big Mama London did transfer, I think, to Tennessee actually. So not a bad landing spot for him. Um, with John Kelly gone, there's I think basically a wide open competition for him there. And then Gerald Holmes graduated. So the two guys who Scott has been wrestling with for carries his whole career are gone. Um, the only other guy who's got any experience in the backfield is Connor Hayward, who looked pretty good last year. He's he's a big dude but he's got excellent receiving skills so to be honest he kind of I think could be an even more complete back than Scott is because he's got these awesome receiving abilities and then they've got some other young guys um Weston Bridges has been hurt a number of times he's coming off a red shirt so he's a possibility and then a couple of true freshmen from in-state Ladarius Jefferson and Eli Collins I sure either of them could be fine but they're incoming freshmen and Really, it shouldn't be necessary for either of them to play. They might rotate one of those guys in any way to break up their eligibility, I guess. But the running back situation should be Scott until he proves he can't handle it anymore. Well, I remember uh, how much college students love posters with like motivational phrases from famous people on them. And I think that LJ Scott should really have this one up in his one of my favorite motivational quotes from a coach. John Heisman, better to have died a small boy than to fumble this football. <laughs> Well, the thing is, in the 20s, you often would just die a small boy, whether because of polio or getting drafted into the Great War or you know being lost to the chimney sweep industry or what have you. You had very good chances of dying as a small boy. So easy for him to say. Um, to, talk, to complete our discussion of Michigan State's offense, though, the offensive line should be pretty good as well. Um, they, tend, they, they always tend to be kind of imbalanced in that they're usually much better in pass protection than they are at run blocking. And that's probably going to be the case again this year. Most of their offensive linemen tend to be a little bit on the slim side, but that means that they're agile enough to be good pass blockers. They lose Brian Allen at center, who was a four-year starter at various positions. They'll miss him, but 
he wasn't such a standout that it's like that's you know like again like we mentioned in last week's episode like Orlando Pace graduating it's not like whoever replaces him is going to be <clears throat> such a massive downgrade that you'll notice immediately so other than Allen everyone in the playing group is back and interestingly they really only have one senior in the playing group again this year and that's David Beadle so if everyone comes back who could, and that it doesn't seem at this point like any of them are obvious NH or NFL, <laughs> certainly not ever going to NHL, but I don't think any of them are obvious NFL departures at this point. So it's very likely that next year's offensive line, I mean, the, if everyone who could come back for 2019 does, Michigan State's offense could be unbelievable. But given that what they've got coming back this year, they should be pretty good this year. So they're not NHL players? Are you saying that they're not gritty, you know, team guys? Well, no, they, a couple of them could be mistaken for Europeans. So, you know, you, you're just, you, can't, you can't be afraid to work hard like a good old Canadian. I can't do a very good Don Cherry impression anymore, so I'm really not going to try. And I'm not, my shirt's not nearly colorful enough. Overall, the offense should be pretty good for Michigan State. Um, I think whether they take that step forward into excellent depends on whether the offensive line gets better in run blocking. And to do that, really, the obvious solution would just be for everyone to be about 10 or 15 pounds heavier. Put more iron! Yeah, basically. Um, but like we said, I think it's kind of a, philosoph a philosophical <laughs> thing where they decide to focus on pass blocking instead. They would never admit that, of course, but we've seen it's kind of been the case for multiple years where they're substantially better at pass blocking than they are run blocking. Um, so, like, you know, you've got, like, David Beadle over there and you need to improve the You know, how badly do you need to improve the run blocking? Do you have Beetlejuice? <laughs> well, and that's going to be interesting because... Beetle was dinged up and in and out often enough that it's not exactly clear what the starting group is going to be. I mean, we're pretty sure that it'll be Chewins and Campbell at tackle, and it's probably going to be Matt Allen at center, but then exactly who it is that starts at guard is a little bit up in the air because they played Tyler Higbee, they played Kevin Jarvis as a freshman, um, Jordan Reed also played as a freshman last year, so they've got a lot of young guys who played some, who for the most part were pretty good. Um, the only thing I would ask is that we not see Jordan Reed come in as a sub um, in the red zone anymore because if you could count on anything from him last year unfortunately for the young man it was committing false starts from goal to goal situations he did it no less than four times that I can remember um, it's just one of those things that sticks out there. there's always one thing that sticks out that drives me nuts the year before it was Kevin Cronin the kickoff specialist kicking the ball out of bounds on kickoffs it happened probably not nearly as many times as I'm remembering but it made me want to tear my damn hair out because like it's all you do man it's all you do it's a pretty wide target. So, we're looking on defense. What are you seeing? Defense should be a little bit better than you would expect on paper. I was, last year, the situation at defensive end was kind of precarious because of a couple of high-profile departures, shall we say. Um, they found Kenny Willekes off of the scrap heap, though. He turned out to be excellent, um, better as a pass rusher than he was against the runner. He was a little vulnerable, but... You know, he wasn't unplayable on standard down, so they found a pretty good defensive end who was, I think, a preferred walk-on at one point. Um, they're going to need somebody else to step forward this year at end um, with Demetrius Cooper gone. He wasn't a standout by any means, but he was a reliable guy in there. Um, Jacob Panasuk played some last year. He's, kinda, he's more of a run-stopper than a pass-rushing threat. It'll be interesting to see who they end up going with the defensive end. They also have some younger guys they could rotate in there. They need to generate a little bit more of a pass rush from the defensive line, though. That was kind of a big shortcoming last year that really they only successfully turned up the heat on the pass rush when they were blitzing. So you'd like to see a little bit more out of the front four. But the good news is on the interior, they should be extremely good. Um, Raquan Williams and Mike Pass will be your starters. 
And then Naquan Jones and Gerald Owens are probably as good a depth defensive tackle combo as you're going to see in the conference. So they've got four capable defensive tackles. I wonder if maybe they might fudge around with the fronts a little bit, maybe run three tackles out, maybe run some three down linemen situations just to get more of those guys on the field more often. Naquan Jones in particular is a guy who I want to see play more, but they should be pretty good up front. Does that depth chart still contain a bullet? Um, yeah, linebacker. How are there so many of them? He's the last one, and he's a senior. So this will be it for him. Uh, Byron Bulla, who only, I guess the only one of the brothers who will not have, who's not likely to have started through his career. He's been a capable enough backup. Well, started a game. The question is, did he start any beefs in the locker room? Yeah, apparently not. He's supposed to be considerably more mellow than. You know, well, I don't want to get into that, but. Um, so we, we kind of transitioned there into linebacker. Where I thought has, Riley was a really nice guy, or are we not talking about the Nebraska coach? Mm. <laughs> um, Outside, 2-0. At linebacker, MSU should be just fine. Um, Chris Fry's graduation is probably going to have more of an impact from a leadership-slash-chemistry standpoint, because towards the end of the year, he was kind of giving up snaps to younger, more athletic guys anyway. Um, Joe Bocci coming back is really the important thing for this group because he was an absolute breakout you know, monster last year. Um, I think he's probably a pretty easy pick to get to over 100 tackles. He's a three-down guy. He was out there pretty much every meaningful snap of every game. Um, he's the obvious captain choice. And then Andrew Dowell coming back next to him. I think he's basically, he's, this will be his third year as the full-time starter, and he played a lot as a freshman too, so... They'll be pretty good there. They've got, and I don't think they've really resolved who Fry's technical replacement is yet. Um, I know Tyreek Thompson has been rotating in there, so he's probably a guy who's got the inside track. But they have multiple options, linebacker. They should be fine there as well. And then in the defensive backfield, basically the entire two deep is back. Everybody who played last year is back. They've got kind of a senior heavy safety group, so it'll be important to rotate in younger guys for the future. But they should be extremely good in the back end. Um, particularly at safety. The corners didn't really get exposed all that much because there was kind of a shortage of uh, potent downfield passing attacks last year, but they were pretty good too. I mean, the corners are young enough that you could have a really good combo running for a couple of years here. They're not as good as Long and Hill at Michigan, for example, at least not right now, but they're also younger. So we'll see where they end up in another year or two, but with the entire defensive backfield back, you would expect that this is going to be a very solid group against the pass. Well, the special team situation, I know that you got uh, Don't Go Bargain My Heart there at Punter. So mm-hmm. you got a fairly established starter. Uh, what about the kicking game? Well, McLovin, uh, Matt, that'd be Matt Coughlin, comes back as place kicker. He, for the most part, was solid. Um, missed a couple kicks that you could make, but also hit the game winner as time expired against Penn State um, and had his slip and slide moment that, you know, that would kind of be his defining career thing, most likely, unless he has a bigger moment. He's only a sophomore, so there's plenty of time for that. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, Hart Barger's back as a senior. He's been solid for the most part in his career. He learned last year, I think, to stop out kicking his coverage quite so much. Um, gotta have a new kickoff specialist because the guy they, the grad transfer they brought in for that graduated and we certainly wouldn't want a kickoff specialist who kicks the ball out of bounds consistently. That would be, that would be very irritating if that were to happen. <laughs> All right. So looking ahead to their schedule this year, an August game, my goodness. Yeah. Um, that would be the becoming tradition of playing on the Friday of Labor Day weekend. Friday night lights because... Yeah, things. When Michigan State and Utah State play, it's high stakes. Yeah, so Utah State obviously shouldn't be an issue. 
That week two game at Arizona State, I've never been more sure that Michigan State was going to lose a game in my life. And we've played Alabama twice in the last six or seven years. Um, it's just, it has it has loss written all over it. It's, in a, it's a 10.45 start time in week two, and it's in early September in Arizona, so it's probably still going to be balls-ass hot. It's against Herm, where am I, Ed, Edwards. And you just know that, like, as, he's going nine and three this yeah, year for sure, no question. For and sure. he's going to pull in a top twenty-five recruiting class after that. You, you know that it's infuriatingly for all the shit that was talked about this hire, and it's not even going to make any sense. Nobody's going to know how this has happened. He's going to say some really stupid things at press conferences, and he's going to just stumble to the Pac-12 South division title. And it's gonna he's gonna turn out to be much more successful than Lovey Smith. When we we always see Big Ten teams struggle with these early season trips to the West Coast, but it's at least an interesting non-conference game. Um, that being said, Arizona State is not totally hopeless from a talent perspective. Um, Nikhil Harry is probably going to be the first receiver off the board in next year's draft. They have a returning quarterback in Manny Wilkins, who was okay in some spots. Um, they don't have the guy who scored eight touchdowns in one game anymore, but they've got enough talent that they could easily win this game, and it's at their place. It's in their time zone, so... And they're... They're really they're they're kind of an underrated talent team because they pull in a lot from California and Arizona uh, high school football is yeah. actually pr- like it's better than people would give it credit for in paper yeah yeah you um, you could you could make a case for Arizona coming to you know uh, being one being better than every Midwest state but Ohio yeah it, you could some years obviously it would fluctuate but yes. So, underrated talent for Arizona State, and regardless of what happens there, then we have the beloved Week 3 bye to recover from the long and brutal, uh, I guess they're going to like take a train back from Arizona State or something. Uh, <laughs> or are they going to take like a covered wagon team? <laughs> well, it, look, if you took the Southern Trails and Oregon Trail, you were an absolute sucker, man. Um, so, in any case, you've got the early season bye, which, as we mentioned last week, was a product of many, many off-season or, uh, you know, cancellations of games that were going to occur. For example, I believe this year was supposed to be one of the years that we were going to be playing West Virginia, um, which, boy, that would have been a hoot. But in any case, oh multiple, my goodness. we had multiple series canceled, so we've got all these early season buys, and they're just terrible. Because um, I'd rather be able to take a week off from the stadium in November instead of September. That makes me so sad. There would have been so many pass attempts in that game. That would have been beautiful. Will Greer, Brian Lewerke. All yeah. right. So you've got that, and then a relatively early conference game taking the trip uh, to Indiana to defend the honor of the bucket, followed by your standard directional Michigan matchup. And then from there, the schedule picks up considerably Northwestern at Penn State and Michigan. That, to me, is the pivotal stretch of the schedule for Michigan State. Um, looking over it overall, though, it's probably as friendly a schedule as you're going to get in the Big Ten. They have Michigan and Ohio State at home this year, having gone to the ro- on the road for both of them last year. They have Northwestern at home. Road trips to Penn State and Nebraska are not going to be easy, um, but their third road trip for the conference is, or their four, third and fourth are Indiana and Maryland. So you could have had a worse draw there. Um, the cross-divisional schedule is not too bad with Nebraska and Purdue. So it's about as favorable a schedule as you're really going to get in the modern Big Ten East. Really, Michigan State should win all three of its non-conference games. It's true that a road game to a Power 5 opponent is never something you take lightly. 
um, and you, you know, unless it's like Oregon State or some shit. But um, they should win all three of those games. They should win the trip to Indiana that month of sep- that you know through the end of September. They should be four now. They play Northwestern early enough that Northwestern still might you know struggle. But of course, the question is just how many games can Northwestern lose that early in the season? Yeah, it, whether there's any desire for you know tagging them back whether that early season northwestern malaise is still in play once we get into october who can say i would probably favor msu in that game although you know usually usually you you write northwestern off for dead and then sometime around early mid-october let's just then you're like oh northwestern's opponent like is worse than we thought what are they doing they're losing to a two and four northwestern team and then northwestern wins i would do that a couple years ago and then there was 54 40 or fight and then <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, let's just push the Northwestern Renaissance a bit later into October. So, um, uh, Penn State on the road. I do not like that matchup very much. Probably not. Um, last season's game was close enough. I, Penn State did lose a lot more than MSU did, but Penn State also has been recruiting better, so you like their chances to be able to replace that. Justin Shorter, I think, is going to be a dynamic player from them from day one. Well, I don't want to get too much into previewing Penn State just yet. It's not their turn. Um, but that's, yeah, that is a, that is probably the toughest road game of the season. Um, I wouldn't like him to beat Ohio State this year because the problem we saw last year is that this offensive line is configured, could not handle Ohio State's defensive front. And yeah, a number of those guys are gone, but Nick Bosa is still there. Uh, they've still recruited other guys. You know, they've still got Jay Sean Cornell and, and various other guys such that their defensive line is probably going to be just as good. So Maybe I could revisit this a bit later, but unless there's a quantum leap forward from the offensive line, I don't like MSU's chances against Ohio State. Either. Yeah, here's here's an early preview for our Ohio State one. We're going to spend their scheduled portion talking about in the unlikely event that they lose a game, which <laughs> yeah. would be the most likely. Yeah. <laughs> can you uh, imagine? Can you imagine having your season previews be like that? Anyway, at Nebraska, so who who knows really how that could turn out? Because there there is a fairly talented group of kids in Nebraska that It'll also you be can towards, only imagine yeah. that it's late in the season yeah. and they're going to be humming about as best as they can, but just what is their ceiling? That's a real big unknown, especially given what? Was that the last time that Michigan State went to Nebraska that weird things happened? Um, I'm trying to remember. In 2015, that would have had to been unless you're playing every year. Well, I thought the last time they played, MSU held on and won. But they had a big lead and almost blew it. Is that what you're talking about? No, I'm talking about in 2015 when they had beaten Ohio State. And oh, then yeah, yeah. And no, 15 was the year that Nebraska beat them. I thought they had played since then in that MSU. Well, they, they may have played since then, but not at Nebraska. So, yeah, I think something along the lines of 9-3, and three, maybe 10-2 and two if everything goes right. I mean, it's this isn't a team that goes undefeated. Best case scenario is maybe they only stumble against one team in conference. That would probably, it would take, like I said, it would take substantial improvement. That's not out of the question, given how young this roster is. Um, but I think the rest of the com- competition in the division is better than it was for the last MSU run, where it was really still only Ohio State. Penn State really wasn't quite at their apex yet, and Michigan was Michigan. So they this team could end up being as good in reality as the last really good MSU teams, but it might not have the same success on the field because there's better teams in the way. Well, on paper, I want to say that this is a nine-win team, plus or minus one, right? Because I'm seeing Penn State and Ohio State as probable losses, and then I'm seeing Michigan and Northwestern as toss-ups. Yeah. So just on paper alone, there should be nine wins, plus or minus one, but then you got 
that big rivalry game at the end of the year where you throw out the records and anything can happen. That's why you got those classic moments like uh, like that time that the guy spiked the ball on fourth down, and that's like the only thing that I can ever remember happening in a Rutgers Michigan State game. I hate Jim Delaney. <laughs> Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!